0: You have accessed Entry 526.HE1304, Certificate Number 39859. Carlo Gasualdo.
1: I think it's a soft G. Carlo Gesualdo. Oh,
0: Gesualdo.
1: Carlo Gesualdo. Oh, Carlo
0: Gesualdo. Paesano hey. mio. Il, uh, il signor
1: Gesualdo, il molto ah. perverso. Che cazzo fai? He, uh, he's Italian. Oh, really? That's a, let's just start off. Let's, let's just get to the nitty gritty <laughs> right away. He's Italian. Lots of, lots of mozzarella. If I were to ask you what you think of his old music, hmm. what's old music to you? Manic Street Preachers? Oh, yeah. Old music. Uh, yeah, right. Um, Seals and Crofts. <laughs> Do you feel like they invented uh, the chromatic scale and- Yeah, uh,
0: Seals and Crofts for sure. They invented uh, interracial marriage. They invented sitting <laughs> on the porch of a cabin. Let me see. Old music, I would think of as- um, the music of the spheres. So the music of just the cr- God's creation of the universe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, the music of the spheres and then the, the the Furies, the
1: screeching of the Furies. So of the two first musicians, one was very good and one was very bad. Or at least the second musician was punk. Well no no the second band. Isn't
0: don't we think of the Iliad as something that was probably sung rather than than just uh, like, intoned or or recited?
1: It would make it a lot better, right? You know, if you've ever had to read epic poetry in a in a college or high school class... If it was wrapped. <laughs> what if a teacher turns his chair around and sits on it backwards and says...
0: Yo, 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 in the wine dark sea.
1: Kind of gonna be real with you guys about the rosy-colored dawn. Uh, yeah, the uh, we know the ancient Greeks and Romans had music. They had lyres. Yeah. I mean, Apollo created... Uh, no, maybe Hermes invented the lyre from a tortoise shell.
0: Sure, that's we still use those today. To so this day,
1: we're still killing turtles, yeah, to
0: make G- guitar picks now. But yeah,
1: is that right? Are guitar picks real tortoise shell?
0: Not not anymore. Oh, but okay. but uh, there, a lot of them are made to look like tortoise shell. I mean, we
1: killed a ton of elephants to get to get classical and romantic music, right? Yep, For yep. piano keys. I still
0: have, you know, the, my, my old piano had ivory keys. This is why I don't
1: listen to music.
0: This is why I can't ta- tax the rich.
1: <laughs> because they'll stop killing elephants? <laughs> because wouldn't we, gonna, wouldn't we hate that if how, the Trump kids were not shooting elephants anymore? How are you going to make a piano
0: that doesn't have real ivory keys? It's just going to be a plastic piece of garbage. I have a
1: question about that. Do, I mean, you're a pianist of, of, uh, of yeah, some experience, yeah. Can, can a good keyboard player tell the difference between an old-time... Like, did people complain when they couldn't use ivory keyboards anymore?
0: Well, you know, ivory has a tactile quality that's different from plastic, but you can make... You can make they're piano pretty, they're keys. They're pretty good, right? Yeah, you can make them really nicely. Like if you
1: buy a, a $100,000 Steinway today, it's it's not going to have ivory they found in a basement, right? It's going to have some amazing space-age uh,
0: ivorite. Almost certainly, although I have not bought a $100,000 Steinway lately. But yeah, the well, I mean, the piano that I had that had, it was, you know, the whole key wasn't made of ivory. It was an ivory kind of yeah. uh, layer My sister top. has my
1: great-grandma's piano, and the the ivory layer has kind of popped off a few of the keys it's yeah. it's wood after about a millimeter of ivory
0: yeah but it's but i mean it's beautiful and and um and feels wonderful under your fingers but i, I don't think i don't think ivory is necessary when they stopped making pianos out of ivory it wasn't the death of music
1: <laughs> i was just wondering if you know stevie wonder complained or oh, something. no i doubt it but wasn't the oldest music drums isn't that
0: doesn't it have to have been drums weren't people making music from the very start
1: we assume so yeah. There's there's no record because j- just like today, drummers can't read or write. Right, that's right.
0: There's no there's zero way to, to accurately transcribe drum music. Every drummer I know has a different uh, a different notation that they invented themselves. Oh, is that right? When when I teach songs to new drummers, the ones that do write something down, and and a lot of them do, they just have their have own their own, own private language that's kind of based on what. We, what like, drum notation all drummers is? are
1: just like raised by coyotes and you pull them out of the <laughs> out of the new mexico desert and they all talk like nell because <laughs> you they have there there
0: there are some standard you know form and some of them can read and write english some mm, not in my experience not ringo maybe matt cameron can but no, no
1: nobody operating <laughs> neil at pert, high level neil pert like past his a levels <laughs> or whatever they have in canada oh no you know former
0: long winters drummer or i guess Present long winters drummer Nabil Ayers. He's been writing articles for the New York Times recently,
1: but he has to dictate them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you you should see the pieces of paper where where drummers like will notate a song. It's the craziest looking stuff because they don't they don't make notes. They just make booms, booms and babs.
1: Well, I mean, musical notation kind of developed like that. You know, the very first people to to uh, to notate music did not have our you know our staff notation is kind of something we. Uh, Homed in on over the centuries, but uh, you know the—I don't think the oldest drums have survived because they were just pieces of leather stretched over something, and they didn't last the winter. Right, turtle um, shells, probably. Yeah, probably turtle shells. <laughs> what else? What else <laughs> <laughs> does nature provide that you could? Uh, maybe it's just turtles. I mean, you can bang two rocks together.
0: Oh no! What it is? It's a log. It's a hollow log. You hit a that's hollow right. log with a with a with a smaller log, and that's or the with first your hands.
1: You, you sit astride the log. The first right. bongo. Uh but we don't have those but we do have um flutes like mammoth bones with uh with holes kind of painstakingly drilled into them that appear to be like 40,000 years old. We have prehistoric musical instruments. You in, can imagine from, how
0: that would come about, right? You're sitting around the campfire, you're chewing on a bone. You're, you're picking you're, a mammoth bone. You know, you're sucking the the marrow out and then you blow and it's like and everybody everybody sits up straight. What was that? And uh and yeah, the The flautist, the first flautist.
1: It's fun. And everybody- got up,
0: started prancing
1: around. And the cavemen are like, hey, look, Og Og, the first flautist. (laughs) Og.
0: (laughs) And they're like, yeah, we've
1: been waiting for a flautist. (laughs) (laughs) And then you had Jethro Tull almost immediately. That happens still today with kids. You know, a fun part of having kids is watching them discover music, just kind of blow across the- the lip of a salad dressing, empty salad dressing bottle and being like, ooh, you know, or a Snapple bottle or whatever. Yeah. Or, or stretching rubber bands across a shoebox as we all did and learning that if you tighten it, the pitch goes up. Do, uh, do your kids whistle? Uh, <sighs> Boy, I sound like a terrible dad. My kids do not whistle as much as me. I think uh, whistling is an old person's game.
0: <laughs> I have always loved whistling. I and love whistling. I'm trying to teach my daughter to whistle and... We've been working on it for a long time, and I, I have not found the, the, the what, right way to say, like, relax your mouth, tongue goes here, you blow. I mean, we sit, so, there's so many car drives that we go on where I'm like, and she's like.
1: Some people can't whistle.
0: She's got to be able to whistle. Friend of mine in
1: high school couldn't whistle. She like, she was the most musical person I've ever known. Perfect pitch. Tried for decades to whistle. To my knowledge, she still can't whistle. I'm
0: going to send her back. I'm going to send my daughter back to the daughter farm and get one that can
1: whistle. You think the breeder will- uh, <laughs> Maybe. Sorry, take my we, money back? We didn't know. It looked like she could. It looked like she could. She had the rosy cheeks he wanted. She had this. the the, curl hair, the, hair of, the hair of golden straw.
0: I can't even curl my tongue. My tongue is too
1: big to she, curl. So you can't complain. Your tongue is a geographic tongue. It is. But it's can, too big, it's a continental tongue. But it can freaking whistle. The tongue is important to whistling. Yes. Do you when
0: you're idly doing something, strolling around the house, are you whistling? Absolutely. Wow, we are such a heads. Oh, humming. Do you like to hum? <laughs> lo- lo- <laughs> love a good hum. <laughs> I I'm
1: Wenny the freaking
0: poo up in here. I definitely will hum scat, but I don't just <laughs> Do
1: you actually scat? If yeah. you're like going for a walk, will you be like? Full-on <laughs> Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> Boy, well, but you're an actual musician. Are you ever like just coming up with melodies and lyrics in your in your uh, in your idle scatting?
0: Yes, but you know, there's a difference between composing a song, which is what I would if I started to if I came up with a melody and I liked it and I wanted it to repeat it, I would switch over into like song recording and and remembering mode. But if I'm out for a walk, <clears throat> no, I am. The music of the spheres. Tunelessly. It's uh, flowing through you. Like scoobity-doo-dap-dap-dap-dap-dapping. And I love to follow uh, an aimless melody, an unchained melody, um, where, you know, I go from figure to figure. It goes from jazz to to bebop to, you know, I I, I was raised on big band, so I How can, old are you? Well, because my dad was old and, and mm. no one introduced me to popular music because I didn't really have like an older sibling in the house. So I thought Count Basie and Duke Ellington were contemporary music until some kid in sixth grade played me the, the <laughs> until, White Until album.
1: sometime last year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was
0: like, what is this incredible <laughs> Satan music that you,
1: <laughs> you What is love? Tom Tommy Dorsey has really come a long way.
0: <laughs> I think I heard Queen. Queen was one of the – Queen and Kiss were the two bands that kids – Played me uh, that that caused me to believe that maybe Count Basie wasn't the end of music.
1: But, but Kiss a, seemed very dangerous to me. That, that's very, that's very funny to kids of our generation. How our parents were very worried about Kiss. Oh yeah, kids in Satan's service because yeah, they wore makeup. Knights, night and we were the kids in oh, Satan's right. service. They were knights. They were knights. But yeah, I'll
0: scat along. But then when I when I get to a point where something on the long night walk gets dramatic, I'll always bounce down to. All the horns coming in like are you da, wearing
1: Are you wearing a white cab <laughs> Callaway suit when you walk around your neighborhood at night?
0: Uh, so yeah, but I love to I love to to have a meandering melody, and I, I wonder if that's a if that's a thing that's because I'm so influenced by jazz, or whether that's the wellspring of jazz.
1: Yeah. Because people just, naturally, a, a kid raised by coyotes will just start scatting in his head.
0: Yeah, just sort of following notes and not not really trying to deliver anything.
1: I've seen coyote scat. No, that's hearing coyote yep, scat. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> oh, you've seen it. <laughs> uh, the reason I want to talk about actually kind of meandering, unchained. Through composed music in a bit, it'll come into Carlo's story. Carlos. La storia di Carlo. Uh, but the reason why I wanted to ask about old music is because, like, there's kind of a funny thing where I think in the popular consciousness, the oldest musical geniuses we can think of, you know, Beethoven and Mozart, Mozart. you know, it'll all be late classical or early. Uh, Early Romantic period, yeah, which means these people were living contemporaneously with the United States of America, right? In many cases, like they're not all that seventeen hundreds, yeah, like early seventeen hundreds. I think Beethoven died in the seventeen twenties or thirties, uh, or sorry, eight, no, the 1820s. 1820s or thirties. Yeah, Beethoven probably had thoughts about uh, uh, the War of eighteen twelve and sure he uh, did. and the XYZ affair, uh-huh. Anaconda Plan. I don't well, know. I'm, I'm running the, out of AP, AP the, US history Amistad? here. Amistad. No, that was a little later. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's not true in other artistic genres. Like, if you try to think of old literature, any layperson on the street will be able to name people hundreds of years older, Shakespeare or even Chaucer or Beowulf or Homer. You know, you could go back thousands of years, as you've mentioned, with um, with literature. And the, well, same the
0: would- Bible, right? That's the, <clears throat> that's the book that, that everybody would, that your layperson would say, that's, what's the oldest book?
1: what's my favorite book? The Bible.
0: I know it's your favorite book. You quote it all the time.
1: I'm like the president. I, I just love it all. I can't even think of a favorite verse.
0: Every time you show up over here, you're holding the Bible and you say, "John, are you ready to hear the good news?" And I say, "Not today, Kim.
1: <laughs> but one of these weeks. <laughs> it's going to be the right time. Your heart will be touched." Uh the uh, and it's true of uh, the visual arts as well, you know? And and drama, uh you, you know, we uh you know, if you everybody's if everybody were to name five or 10 old-timey painters, they would all be from 300 years before Beethoven and, and Mozart and Brahms, there's something about music where, for some reason, it was a late bloomer.
0: Is it a notation problem? We just don't know how the music was was played and because it was never written down?
1: Yeah, it's got to be a post-Gutenberg thing where... I mean, musical notation goes back to Sumerian clay tablets. Okay, People had their weird kind of drummer's... Uh-huh. Uh, notes of, of how to do their favorite Sumerian battle chants, I guess, and uh, but it, it didn't really be, uh, become widespread in Europe until the monasteries, I think, until monks started oh. keeping beautifully illuminated scrolls of their favorite Gregorian chants.
0: Well, you would think like a Greek. I mean, I've I've appeared in Greek plays. We, uh, I was in the oristia We could. Um, we could still produce. Like recently,
1: you do community theater here uh, in uh, yeah, here in it's South a, Seattle. That's
0: right here at the, here at the <laughs> South Seattle Community <laughs> Theater Project.
1: Who are you in Oresteia?
0: I was Agamemnon
1: oh. in college,
0: and so we're. I mean, we're we're still producing Greek plays. Um, not new ones. Not new. Well, <laughs> some somebody in Greece is some young young guy in a black turtleneck is writing a play right now, but uh, no, he's throwing stuff through windows. But I think music we. We think of it as a kind of, um, I, and and within the recording industry, we kind of talk about this: the the era, the twentieth century, being the era where music became a creative industry, and musicians ascended to the loftiest ranks of artists and culture makers, and and um, you know, like commentariat. Um, and prior to the 19th century, musicians, um, you know, classical and opera, the, the, those kinds of composers played, um, like, major roles in the culture. But prior to that, it was either religious music or, like, street fair kind of yeah. troubadour, storyteller.
1: Balladeers and minstrels. Yeah,
0: and they were regarded as, like, low Yeah, that was like class. TV.
1: Like right. some guy's going to come through and sing a saucy song about some girl on the moors.
0: So you wouldn't you would you would teach that to your apprentice, but it was it wasn't a thing where you, where somebody in the village would would say like you got to give me the sheet music to to that song about busty ladies.
1: Well, that was the thing. There was no uh, there was the composer was fairly invisible. You'd hear you'd hear the musician, but all these songs are kind of anonymous. I think because in a world in a time without really orchestras. There was no reason for a composer to think up an amazingly complicated piece and then teach it to sixty people. Right, which was kind of the the uh, the innovation of the classical period. You know, uh, printing is a lot easier. Orchestras are being assembled. Um, opera has caught on in Italy. Uh, you know, shortly after the Renaissance, and so that becomes a <laughs> opera. Opera was then a middle brow affair.
0: Right, well... The, op- the
1: poor people would love to go see the blood and thunder of, of opera because they didn't have, uh, what, wrestling, I guess. Opera,
0: I mean, if it if opera was translated into English, it would still be a middle to lowbrow affair if people really understood what they were saying, which is
1: not very much. Op- operatic that's lyrics... Why, that's, that's why even if, even though no one wants subtitled movies, people will go see opera in Italian or German just because it sounds less ridiculous <laughs> when you can't actually hear... The kind of boring thing they're repeating over right. and over.
0: He is coming,
1: he's coming. Open the gates, he is coming. And
0: repeat. Now he's here, he's here, he's here. Close the gates. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and scene. So the reason why, one interesting thing about uh, doing a, a show about Carlos Jesualdo, which who I'm sure will
0: appear at some point mm-hmm. in the entry. I'd love to hear a show about Carlos Jesualdo.
1: Well, should yes. we do one right now? Sure. You have accessed. (laughs) I was just sitting around. We were just talking about uh, uh, Kev Calloway for no reason. What is his era, Carlo? Uh, Late Renaissance. Born in the mid, uh, mid, late 16th century. um, uh, Wrote most of his music in the very late 1500s, right around 1600. And so this is 2 over 200 years before a lot of the composers the old-timeiest composers you can think of.
0: And you would say this was this was before we would call it classical music.
1: Yeah, the classical, you know, we just use classical to mean old boring music with I guess strings, you know, the, I,
0: right, powdered wigs.
1: Yeah, wigs and strings, harpsichords probably.
0: and and, uh the kind
1: of thing you hear in the background on museum audio guides
0: bustiers though there were a lot of bustiers really you think if uh, you picture bach in a bustier not not bach himself but you know if uh if amadeus is any guide there was a lot of frolicking
1: there was a lot of beauty spots and white powder yes and uh uh uh, paddling around in, in cleavage i'm a big fan of all of that really
0: i wish there was more of that today even the powder uh yeah because the powder masks the the smell of poo and pee which is the the unifying characteristic of old old times.
1: And you're a recovering goth. You you still like a, a you still like a pale pale a pale pale uh, fraulein uh, 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 Who looks a- like she's never seen the sun.
0: Any uh, uh, people of any race can still cover themselves in powder. It doesn't have to be white powder. Just cover it in powder. That's how I like.
1: Now, white face was wrong then, and it's wrong yes. now. But we can't get rid of these representations. That would be like pretending they never existed. That's right. We don't want to erase history. We don't wanna, we do want to. We don't want to blackwash it. the history of white facing. <laughs>
0: but beauty spots? How attractive are they? When They're are they? very attractive. When are, how
1: come beauty spots haven't come back? I'm kind of surprised.
0: That, yeah, it'll come around. Uh, the kids today are still super duper normcore, and I don't understand it. I don't understand why young people want to be so unattractive.
1: Uh, we don't have that problem in my house. My daughter uh, is very into black lipstick. Oh, which she will do on one lip, which that's is a, which is an innovation we didn't have. That's a change since I saw her two weeks ago. Oh, is she, this just a new innovation? I think it depends on the mood. Oh, the, she, the she previous day <laughs> she might have had. I see the black lipstick and and. Uh, Uh, Some kind of attempt at uh, temporary tribal tattoos on one cheek, or
0: I could see my kid going through a baroque phase. Quite frankly, she's um, she's decided that she's going as they. They at her school, they have a historical Halloween where you pick a historical figure, and she's going a
1: cool way to suck all the fun out of Halloween. That's right, exactly. She's going as Mary Shelley. Wow. <clears throat> well, there you go. And I thought I had the only goth daughter. <laughs> and
0: she's like, you know, look, all of her outfits have these off-the-shoulder gowns. And I was like, yeah, you know, she's got a real there's a lot of story going on. She was on with hanging Mary out Shelley. in spooky
1: castles with Byron. That's right. Uh, yeah. My kid, and Ada Lovelace. My kids are not gonna have a Baroque period, but I'm pretty sure they're gonna have a broke period. Mm-hmm. Thanks, uh, Dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Carlo Gesualdo comes from the Renaissance, and he comes from really a time before music as we know it existed. But that doesn't mean that's just because we're dummies. There was plenty of music back then. Right, uh, Monte Verde had had uh, you know was just about to appear on the scene and kind of create the modern Italian opera, which is essentially the form that that uh, rich people in furs still go to see today with their little lorgnettes. Um, but uh, but back then there was no such thing. There was religious music and just Waldo did write three books of, of masses and requiems and whatnot, you know, coming from the music that kind of arose in the monasteries and the abbeys descended from the chants. Um, but he also wrote the new secular form of the Renaissance, you know, humanism was on the, was on the grow and, uh, and everyone was really into madrigals. Do you ever, Mm -hmm. do you ever, do you ever sing madrigals on your late night walks? Uh, I, I, um, I have a tendency to
0: sing, um, like, uh, well.
1: You'd probably need some friends to sing a madrigal. It's polyphonic. I I don't sing
0: madrigals, but I do sing, like, um, his head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged and... Uh, oh, that, oh, brave Sir Robin! <laughs> I don't. That might be more a ballad. A ballad.
1: Madrigals yeah. are kind of like lyric. They're um, they're pretty emo. Madrigals are lyric poetry, uh, set to music for multiple voices, sometimes as many as eight voices. So it's it's really a, a an awful kind of Ivy League acapella thing.
0: Is it is it droney or is it? I mean, I can't get away from thinking that medieval music is all. Is all drone, uh, drony
1: church. The the thing about Jesse Waldo's madrigals, part of the reason why he's remembered today is because they are very surprising and, uh, in you know, feature unusual and sometimes even upsetting musical and emotional, uh, techniques. Like, upsetting. Well, uh, you know how you're gonna have to explain this to me. I don't know why I'm explaining this to you. Songs written in a certain key will have certain. Well, harmonics and chord progressions you would expect right am if I you, right
0: if you the if you are uh, if you are good at music,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you're like a eightieth percentile of music or better if you've
0: learned if you've learned music, yeah, it has um well, yeah, it has it, it's made up of of patterns, but also there are um there are co- there are chords that follow chords. chord progressions are ones that you can. You know, if you, if recognize- you hear if
1: you hear a G, you expect to hear in, in, in a certain key. In a ex- context. Yeah. Yeah. The, a,
0: you know, I mean, that's some of the best musicians I know are the ones that can anticipate what's, can anticipate the next chord in a song they've never really heard before because they recognize the pattern. And so they know that. And
1: dude, if you listen to a lot of music, you can kind of do it intuitively. You can kind of yeah. sense how this bit is going to resolve. A little bit of tension's been created. Oh, uh, the bridge might be sound a little more like this. And in talking to
0: in talking to even even like amateur but but informed musicians, of which I am neither. I'm I'm a professional and <laughs> and ill-informed musician. <laughs> Why are they
1: even hanging out with you?
0: But you know, they'll say like the next chord has to be a minor chord because it's in this progression and and the minor chord is the next chord in the In the scale, basically. And that's
1: one thing that makes jazz often feel modern and surprising. Many, many different schools of jazz have these unusual chords and, and take them as a challenge, you know, to build art out of a, a surprising turn.
0: It's one of the things that has, that sets, um, Seattle and the Northwest, uh, sets it apart from the pop music cultures of other cities in the United States, like in Nashville, in Austin, Uh, and in LA, the patterns are followed pretty carefully. Uh, what, what, what constitutes innovation in those songwriting circles is, I mean, they're, they're lyrically inventive, but, but if you're, if you're writing country Western music or, or, um, uh, you know, kind of Americana, most brands of, of contemporary pop, you know, you're sticking
1: to the template. <clears throat> that's and, part of the fun that it reminds people of of something older. So right. you, you can't really be like, "and now an A minor." Well, and also it's right. Yeah, and so like, yeah, this stuff is not we should we should say that right that this stuff is not just arbitrary. That a lot of these conventions are are kind of innate to the way our brains process sound for some reason. Yeah,
0: it's any, it's any any of the kind of um, the proportionateness in art, Leonardo's. Um, you know sketch of the perfect proportions and the fact that, there's math yeah the fact that pop songs are two and a half minutes long seems to indicate two and a half to three minutes long seems to indicate something intrinsic about our attention span but in Seattle there were there uh, you'll find at least songwriting wise there's been a a lot of reinventing of the wheel over the years and when we succeed in the Northwest we write pretty inventive pop songs that are somewhat unexpected um, quarterly and structurally. But when we fail, we make unlistenable, you know, meandering indie pop, like, that just sounds like mashed potatoes. Um, but is,
1: is this your take on grunge? That it's not really a, just a, a naive punk offshoot? That there's a lot, that it's more complicated, it's more complex? You and- know, the
0: naivete in grunge <clears throat> often um, belies its sophistication there are a lot of uh very unusual time signatures in grunge music that aren't evident to the lay listener where it's just like whoa people are are playing with the one a lot and it is naive a lot of it was i mean they, they (laughs) they weren't coming at it as scientists but but there was a desire to make something that you hadn't heard before rather than emulate like a like an old form. They weren't just trying to read. And well, and that's true of Led Zeppelin, right? That, that, that stuff was, there were often weird time signatures that, right. um, that Seattle, Seattle songwriters were responding to for sure.
1: Jesse Waldo was mostly forgotten until the 20th century when he was, because his work was kind of ahead of his time. It, it's uh, it's, it's mood and it's unusual uh, harmonics kind of anticipate the romantic air and any time of kind of resurgent, weird, discordant, emotional, Music. It was rediscovered in the 20th century by by very modern thinkers. Are you saying that he was grunge? <laughs> I don't know if he was grunge, but Aldous Huxley liked to listen to him on mescaline. Because uh, he thought this... Was, you know, he's listening Dude. to 400-year-old music and thinking, this is the next thing. And in fact, Stravinsky, when he discovered uh, Gessualdo's madrigals, kind of inspired his later kind of atonal oh. stuff. So... There's a weird thing with... Uh, Gessualdo
0: Gesso- was a 12-toner.
1: Well, there's a weird thing about the work back then is that you don't know how it was sung. You know, you don't know what kind of tempering was used in the voices that sung it. There's some evidence that Gesualdo uh, was aware of a, a fellow Italian who had a, uh, a a musical system that divided the octave into 31 different tones r- uh. rather than our 12, uh, which means you get all these weird microtones and shading. And sometimes his work is, Gesualdo's perf- work is sung with these microtones, which makes it, it, it goes from... Kind of surprising, and I can't put my finger on where or when this is from to really downright unearthly and unsettling when you hear it with these half tones that don't exist in our uh, notation that that's
0: the thing that that it's taken me the uh, that I al- always find surprising, which is that the way that we have broken up music, notated it, and conceive of it is very arbitrary. there are in between our notes.
1: It's a clue other notes. It's what engineers would call a clue. Right. Like the the actual math didn't sound right. So we kind of had to split the difference on ten different axes.
0: Yeah, there's a there's an infinite number of, of in-between notes. And uh, when you temper a piano, in order to get it to sound right, you have to have the keys further out toward the edges be out of, you know, technically out of tune.
1: That's because of the elephant's ghost.
0: It's the, ele- the ghost of the elephant is it's, like, it's you, haunting your, you will never get this piano in tune <laughs> no matter how hard you try. And even on the guitar, the, uh, the B string, a lot of guitar players will slightly flatten their B string
1: from, Oh, I didn't know there was a guitar equivalent.
0: Yeah. From perfect tune and uh, in fact there there have been a few attempts to devise other ways other tuning systems for guitars to make them you know to make them more in tune with themselves
1: something i've realized reading about rock is that a lot of the most distinctive guitar sounds you hear are because of you know either a, a song or an artist who habitually played with a weird tuning right yeah, right um, also a grunge thing
0: You know, I have a hard time managing stress sometimes, and I've always wanted to learn how to meditate, but who has the time? Am I right? That's why I'm so excited about Headspace. It's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. These are all things I desperately crave, but I always feel like I'm learning to do meditation wrong. Headspace makes it easy to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that would work for you or me on our schedule, anytime, anywhere. We deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple— Go to headspace.com slash omnibus for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to Headspace. That's head to headspace.com slash omnibus today.
1: Do you want to listen to a little... Uh Jesu Aldo Madrigal here gets kind of the flavor, the unearthly flavor of it. Yeah, I'm really curious about it now. This is one of his better known works Morolasso al mio duolo.
0: So it's not, it's not atonal at all. It's but the chords very are very melodic.
1: The chords are coming, but you at, never know what's going to happen no, next.
0: Don't and it's, and some of those chords are really moving.
1: Yeah, the um, so the the goal of a, a madrigal you were talking about unchained melodies. Madrigals are often through composed, which means there's never any repetition of any kind of chorus or motif. It's really just the composer trying to express the emotional content of each line of the poem with the appropriate melody. I wish I was clever
0: enough to do that, to really like do it as a... I
1: don't know if that works
0: in pop. Composition. (laughs) Well, I mean, but the thing is it could, you just have to, you just have to be smarter than me.
1: Apparently the translation of this is it's, uh, the speaker is talking about a terrible suffering he's in and the woman who could cure it uh, is actually making it worse.
0: Uh-huh, I know that suffering.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty standard emo stuff. It seems like there might be some playing on the idea that the the death that she is helping him to experience is you know not just the death he fears, but possibly also the little death of, sure. uh, of orgasmic Le petit pleasure. Mort. So it's an association of of pleasure and pain and suffering, which is um, not unusual in his work or probably in his psyche, because one of the reasons we remember Jess Waldo, not just because of his avant garde music theory is because of his uh, really lurid biography.
0: Right. That's very secular. Those are the secular themes for what sound, what you
1: could... To us, it sounds like a hymn because there's a bunch of people singing in, in what could be Italian or Latin to us. Right. If, if but that... that's not, that would not have said, sounded like church music in 1600. Interesting.
0: Yeah, if you went to hear that in a in a cathedral in Prague, you would you would feel like oh I've had a real cultural exchange today.
1: No, this is Fallout Boy. Wow, you know, like th- they would have heard a big difference between this and the you know the masses or whatever that he was doing on the side. So he he was a lurid Italian. He was a very grand guignol kind of hmm. Italian. Um, his biography is interesting. He was. Uh, he came from a wealthy Neapolitan family. Uh-huh. Uh, That's why
0: you can't tax the rich. <laughs> because they won't write madrigals? Because they won't write madrigals. Who
1: would write them otherwise? <laughs> what I love about Warren Buffett is the madrigals. <laughs> Thank you, Warren. They're, they're the Nebraska's finest madrigals. We're
0: going to hear them all after he dies.
1: He came from a family with a lot of wealth and privilege. Uh, his uh, his father had married some kind of cousin or relative of, uh, of the Pope, of the famous Borromeo family that had produced a Pope Pius, and a famous cardinal who later became St. Charles Borromeo.
0: These were the popes that had like five wives. Oh, yeah. These are the bad popes. The era of bad
1: popes. You think it's bad to have five wives and ten houseboys? Well,
0: hey, listen, I don't want to get into that with you.
1: Uh, the houseboys?
0: No, I think every every rich guy should have five houseboys. That's why we can't <laughs> tax the rich.
1: They won't be injecting money into Thailand anymore. Um. And he was, uh, but he was never going to, he was, uh, Carlo in particular was never going places because he was the second born son. Oh, sure. His older brother was going to inherit. So he was destined for the clergy. Right, of course. He wasn't that into it. What he really loved was music. From a very young age, he, uh, you know, he was just one of these kids and I wish I had had one. He, you just couldn't get to put down the lute or the harpsichord or the, well, he didn't pick up the harpsichord, but the <laughs> guitar, like he played basically all three instruments that would have existed at the time. Um, he, he just had a knack. Uh, and, uh, you know, he later, his, spoilers, his brother later dies and he doesn't in, inherit his father's title. He becomes- Oh,
0: that's every, every rich father's nightmare is that you're- The wastrel you, second son? Yeah, you're a wastrel second son who's out playing the lute in the garden suddenly becomes heir to the throne. It's the, it's the problem with contemporary Syria.
1: He may have poured, <laughs> he may have poured poison into his brother's ear. I have right. no idea. Right, but right, but right. he inherits, uh, in his twenties, he, he inherits his father's title and becomes Prince of Venosa- which is, uh, you know, the family seat—a castle. I think maybe sixty miles east of uh, of Naples. Um, but he's best known for the events of the night of October sixteenth, fifteen ninety.
0: Oh, he had one night. He had one great night that he, that we know about him uh, even now.
1: Yes, as a this is in the this is in the public record because it's in the court and police records. <sighs> Uh, this has just become, this has gone from a madrigal podcast to a true crime podcast. Go on. One of the amazing hairpin turns that makes Omnibus so popular in the 30th century. <laughs> is this uh, is this some kind of
0: uh, Satan-worshipping thing? Because I am here for it.
1: Satan-worshipping is coming! On the night of October 16th, 1590, uh, a delegation of Naples officials are called to uh, a, a, an apartment in the Royal uh, Palace in Piazza San Domenico Maggiore. Uh, because there has been a double murder. They walk in to find t- uh, a couple uh, A couple has been caught in flagrante. Delicto? Delicto, no oh, less. delicto. I don't even know what that means. Flagrante must mean flagrant. Delight? In, in, in fragrant delight. Not fragrant. Did you say fragrant? In fragrant delight. It might have been fragrant as well. We, <laughs> the, the Neapolitan officials did not note that on the clipboard. Uh-huh. Um, but a, a jealous husband has caught... His beautiful wife, uh, Dona Maria Davalos, who's one of, a famous beauty of Naples at the time, with one of the most beautiful young men, the Duke of Andrea, Don Fabrizio Carafa.
0: They have they have names that suggest that they're beautiful and sensual people.
1: Right? Can you imagine if your name is Don Fabrizio Carafa and you're just some ugly old Fellini guy with a big mole? Yeah, that could also work though.
0: Don Fabrizio.
1: It's true. These Italian names, they have to be one or the other, yeah, right? You're either
0: young and beautiful or you're old and, and wicked.
1: You can't just be a normal guy with a briefcase. Hey,
0: I'm Don, Don, Don
1: Fanucci. I just want to go over the, uh, the latest accounts. Yeah. Uh, in this case, he's young and beautiful. He's, you know, whatever the, he's a heartthrob. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm trying to think of who, who the equivalent is. Who's a heartthrob today?
0: Oh, Harry Styles. Harry Styles. No, it's one of those guys. It's one of those K-pop guys. All The, the only cute guys anymore are those K-pop this guys. This
1: is the problem I was having. I was trying to name a heartthrob, and I was like... Like I was just, I stopped at Brad Pitt, who is probably in his late fifties.
0: He's yeah. He's at least 60 <laughs> years old now. No, the heartthrobs, uh, the ones that we don't understand. I finally all... thought of
1: one and I was like, Zac Efron. No, wait, that is also my, even my hip reference is a That's decade from old. 15 years old. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 15 years ago.
0: <laughs> I, I have no idea who is, who is popular. It's their TikTok artists.
1: They're YouTubers. They're yeah. terrible YouTubers who are all secretly white supremacists. And they're
0: what they're, they're, they're all you do is tune in to watch them
1: play video. Games. All the good heartthrobs are gay.
0: I have no idea who the heartthrobs are. I kind of want to know, but I kind of don't.
1: I don't even know how to Google it. I'm like, I'm now a, a, a 70-year-old man. Well, Google who are that, the heartthrobs. That's the
0: problem. If you Google it, like, who are the hot young people?
1: <laughs> then suddenly the FBI. Yeah, you're
0: going to get flagged.
1: <laughs> well, whoever, you know, it doesn't matter because we're speaking to the 40th century and they have their own se- sure. sexy, ne- their own. pouting octopus.
0: Right. Right. Uh, insect, their own, their own hot uh, clouds of lint.
1: So, just imagine your hot cloud of lint has been caught naked uh, with his lover. Uh, it, it, the police report gets scandalous very quickly. The duke is wearing only a woman's nightdress. The duke is yes, with ruffs of black silk as fringes.
0: This is the this is the beautiful Duke who has now died
1: yes he is he has died as he lived wearing women's underwear okay uh, he is covered in blood and he's got wounds all over he's got a gunshot th- gunshot wound through his elbow into his breast kind of Governor Connolly style uh, with his so, so you know close and then in, out the
0: back of his neck and <laughs> into the side of Jeff turns
1: head. <laughs> in midair mind you uh, his sleeve has been scorched he's got another gunshot wound to the head two so, guns. Oh right, because you couldn't—you didn't have a repeater back then.
0: No, either two guns or—or or the murderer took time to reload, which seems like would have been a while. Right? I, I like—I
1: like how you're doing. You're going all diagnosis murder on <laughs> uh, on this four uh, hundred and thirty-year-old crime. Uh, so, he, but he's also got um, wounds to his head, face, neck, chest, stomach, kidneys, arms, hands, and shoulders, and these are holes. My goodness. And the holes go all the way through him to the floor. So, so some somebody not only has wounds. two two guns, but also a sword. So maybe it is an octopus.
0: <laughs> or two people, or and, four
1: people. And he's not alone. You can't be in flagrante. Oh, can you be in flagrante delicto alone?
0: I, well, unless I have te- you're Michael Hutchins.
1: I have teenage boys. Uh, he is not alone. His uh, Doña Maria Davalos, Carlo Gesualdo's wife, is lying on the bed. Her throat is cut through, oh, no. drenching her nightshirt in blood. I wonder if she's wearing his underwear. Uh, She's also got wounds on her face, her right arm, her right hand, and her torso. Trigger alert. Yeah, I guess I should have said. Uh, Late late Renaissance violence coming up. Let's
0: put a note on the front of the show.
1: Uh, And uh, this is not going to be a mystery for very long. So if you like that kind of true crime podcast, we have a suspect. Oh, who is it? Uh, Carlo Gessoaldo, now 24, had been seen entering the apartment with three men. Oh, he's got henchmen. That's, he's, he's not an octopus. Every, everybody's got a gun and a sword, probably. Sure. Shouting, kill that scoundrel along with this harlot. Shall a Jesualdo be made a cuckold? He's, so you got motive, means, and opportunity. Right? So,
0: But wait, he's like shouting this on the doorstep where where people are recording it? It sounds like he had a scribe with him, too.
1: Uh, the servants I, apparently oh, are God. listening. I, I, I can, And report later. Uh after a time, now you could still say, you know, maybe, who knows? That's all very circumstantial, right?
0: Sure, sure. No one actually saw him do it. He's
1: got to be innocente until uh, approved... Uh culposo. <laughs> <laughs> After a short time, he reemerged, his hands dripping with blood. Okay. Well, Still it's, it's not looking great. Then he went back into the room saying, I do not believe they are dead and did more violence. <laughs> hmm, okay. Right. <laughs> then he leaves town. He gets on a horse and rides 60 miles east to Castle Jesualdo, his family seat, where he bricks himself in and orders all the trees on the hillside cut down so he can see the approach of any uh, uh, angry family members or... Delegation from the Duke of Naples. Does he have the cask of the Amontillado in there with him? <laughs> he's ready to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not a really a brick up your enemies kind of guy. He's more like charge in with you know get drunk, charge in with two buddies, right, and riddle them with with sword wounds. Kind of a husband.
0: Okay, well, I mean, different strokes.
1: <laughs> uh, as you can imagine, maybe you can't imagine. Like today, of course, this would be the trial of the century you know him fleeing east in a in a in a white bronco right uh driven by uh, alfonso cowlingo <laughs> you know th- this would be news for years
0: well i i have to imagine it was then too there's not yes. a time when a when a rich guy can kill his beautiful wife and her beautiful lover and not have it splashed on the front page are you
1: saying ronald brown uh, ronald uh, goldman was uh, beautiful ron goldman he's a good looking guy yeah, he's a you know, handsome at least. He's not an Adonis um, like, like uh, the Duke of uh, Andrea, probably. But... Well, no, but uh, but uh, I, you know, I'm I, I don't think
0: Ron Goldman was her lover. Maybe. Wait, he was just there to give her her car keys back.
1: Holy cow! I didn't know we were going to have such a hot OJ <laughs> takes in the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> um, the the law does come for Carlo Gesualdo, and he has to stand trial. Um, and as, yeah, as I was saying, this was the trial of the century, like Naples loves this uh, absolutely. and the rumors just get out of control. In the stories, Gesualdo uh, uh mutilates the genitalia of the dead couple, leaves their mm-hmm. bodies to rot on the steps of the palazzo, oh. arranges for some demented monk to violate the corpse of his wife. Trigger warning. Oh dear. Uh, it's not much of a trigger warning if I say it after. Right. Uh, okay, another trigger warning coming up.
0: Unless uh, futurelings have like- <laughs> Are a, you
1: four-dimensional beings? <laughs> yeah, they realize that time is a flat
0: circle and they're listening to this episode all at once. That
1: would be very helpful because then at the end of the show, we could be like, you know, this episode had a ton of historical racism, <laughs> violence, uh, misogyny. Uh, the fourth rumor, which I can't even, I don't even know how to parse this trigger warning, is that he, uh, the two lovers had an illegitimate child. Jesse Aldo was so angry that he uh, murdered the child as well by suspending it in some kind of swinging uh, cradle or bassinet and just swinging it until it died. Like like, like Roger Moore on the Centrifusion Moonraker, I can guess. Can you die from swinging? I guess just the G-forces Wow. Uh, in this version. Swing
0: it until the child dies. All right. Well, people
1: back then have a weird idea, like, oh, of course he died. He uh uh, he felt sad on a cold day. Yeah, right. Or... You can kill somebody by staring at them. Right, exactly. Yeah. They, in Italy, they just think, you know, right. just, something looks at you wrong on the subway.
0: Oh, he cursed my tomato.
1: So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that famous Italian proverb. <laughs> that famous racist Italian proverb. He cursed
0: my potato and now I'm a dead.
1: Trigger warning <laughs> uh, jokes about, not even jokes, nope, <laughs> we're, just we're, bad in- weird in Italian. Weird Italian accents. In- impressions of Italians. Uh, so, in, in the middle of all these swirling, lurid rumors, uh, just Waldo stands trial and is acquitted. Is it because he's a famous composer? No, he is actually not yet a famous ac- uh, composer. He's j- merely a music lover at this point.
0: Oh, all of this uh, this reinvention of music came after this
1: this terrible crime. That's what's interesting when you listen to the emotional heft and uh, and and sturm drawing of these madrigals. Is that this is from a man who? Killed his wife in bloody fashion. The wow. reason why he's acquitted is because omicidio donore is a pretty absolute defense at the time. A husband oh. is allowed to do whatever he wants in the to case of an unf- his honor. Yes, and of course, women are not accorded the same right, right. By, by Renaissance yeah, some, there's law. Some different version of it, sure. Uh, yeah, probably a little less expensive. But uh, in fact, there's uh, some scholarly writing at the time that holds that husbands would have felt obligated. Yeah, even a husband that didn't want to go. Put, I mean, this guy. Got two friends and put thirty holes in them. Right. So maybe he's not one of the reluctant uh Omicidio de denore killers. But even at the time you might have felt obligated like a like a Englishman fighting a duel during the Regency period. I and
0: mean, there are still places in the world today where that kind of honor killing is part of the culture. Is that part of the expectation? Sadly,
1: yes. Yeah, yeah there are parts of the of the Muslim world, right, right. where that would follow infidelity or um so he's found not guilty and within 3 years he has married again. Oh. She, a- she's brave. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if there's anybody who's rebound wife you don't want to be. Although, like is OJ has OJ remarried? I don't Well, I don't know. But there there are
0: all there's all these stories of people that are like carrying on prison correspondences with with murderers and marrying them. I mean, Ted,
1: I'm the, I'm the one who can understand
0: him and Ted Bundy had had a a woman uh, oh, Ted Bundy got married after I mean during his the later stages of his his last trial I think that they tried to get a uh conjugal visit so that she could have his
1: baby maybe that didn't actually happen did, did, did you just dream that because uh, I don't dream about Ted Bundy's conjugal visits
0: I mean being a being a Northwesterner if you haven't if you haven't read everything on Bundy a few times. Bundy conjugal. See, this is something else you don't want to Google. <laughs> Bundy conjugal prison marriage. Uh, oh, T- Ted Bundy and ex-wife Carol Ann Boone. Oh, I didn't last. What? A, that's a surprise to me. Um, did do, do, do you know a- Ann Rule? Not personally. Rosa Bundy, his daughter Rosa, was um was conceived in prison. And she is alive to this day. She was born in 1982. So if you are, if you're prepared to have a child with Bundy while he's in prison, pre-execution. I wouldn't have a child with Al Bundy. (laughs) Really? It would be Christina Applegate. (laughs) No,
1: it might be. What's his name? Faustino. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want to generalize too much about uh, the appeal of a certain kind of bad boy to women, but let's just say there are lots of broken people. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And and there's there must be some appeal to, uh, sure, he's got a dark side, and I kind of like that, but I think I'm the one who can
0: well understand him. Also, in this case, he is a super rich prince.
1: Oh, I thought you were still talking about Ted Bundy. <laughs> yes, so in this, yes, in the in the late fifteen hundreds, the fact that he is so his father has now died, he has inherited the princedom of Venosa, and he is now one of the richest men in the kingdom of Naples. And in fact, Eleonora de' Este is a very advantageous match. She is a cousin of the Ferrara family, who are oh. the uh, wealthy and cultured nabobs of southern Italy at the time. The, um, I knew a guy named Toby Ferrara. And was he in fact a great patron of the arts?
0: No, he had a he had a white Chevy Stepside pickup. <laughs> uh, it was it was on big tires. It was pretty in Anchorage in 1984. It was pretty cool.
1: That's a good story. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> so Carlo Gessowaldo is very much a now he's a very much a Robert Browning's My Last Duchess kind of a scheming nobleman mm-hmm. um, picking off young women one by one. But uh, the fact that he now has entree into the court of the Ferraris is huge. Right. Because this is like the HQ of mannerism. So the high Renaissance is now kind of petered out just because it's been a victim of its own perfection. You know, the you were talking about the mathematical perfection of, of a Leonardo drawing or a, a Michelangelo fresco. Uh, the sculpture with the, you know, the anatomy got perfect. The perspective got perfect everything's got this cool, marble, glossy perfection. Where do we go from here? It's stultifying to an art form. Right. Because exactly, where do you go from here? You figured it out. And typically, when when art becomes very glossy and produced like that, the next step is
0: in the other direction. Did they pee on the American flag? Is (laughs) that what they did next?
1: (laughs) They recorded (laughs) the first Sex Pistols record. (laughs) No, in this case, it's less punk rock and more a move toward glam rock.
0: Ken, we've uh, come up with some exciting T-shirt designs in the last couple of months. What can you tell us about T-shirts going forward?
1: I like the December ones. After years of requests, we have finally decided there should be an omnibus shirt with a mail truck on it. Yay! Mail truck shirt! And it's fun. It's got Mr. Zip driving the truck, that kind of nightmare-inducing representative of the post office's zone improvement plan. And he's having a fun time driving his mail truck on its last legs, and it says omnibus. And then there's a different shirt. About. He's he's kind of ghost riding, isn't he? He's a little bit
0: out of the truck, like he's only got one arm and and one leg, and inside he's leaning the truck. out
1: the right side. But that is correct. Yeah, that's right. that's the, that's the right side. His hood is up. It's smoking. He's yeah. He's quite a he's quite a rickish young man. Uh, he's a real daredevil here. Yeah. huh. And then this is the De Havilland Beaver, right? You talk about the aviation because I can't remember what this is.
0: It is. It's the it's the De Havilland Beaver from the front end. Um,
1: it's landing on a Alaskan lake with its with its uh, sea pods with its pontoons. That's, that's or sea right. pods, as we call it. That's
0: right. It's a uh, it's it's a float plane, as we say in the in the parlance. Uh, it shows its very distinctive and characteristic radial engine from the front, so there's no mistaking the profile of the the Havilland Beaver.
1: These are some good looking shirts about some popular omnibus entries. Two new designs every month, so these will be gone at the end of December. Don't miss out. That's right. This ad is this ad has a time limit. You've got what two
0: over two weeks, so. Almost three weeks.
1: Go to omnibusproject.com slash store. You'll always see the links to our two new shirts that our friend Dave has up for us at Mediocrity. You'll also find a link to our Tea Public Store where we have a wide array of stuff with the Omnibus logo on it. Hoodies. uh, What else? Hats, I think. Mugs. Onesies? Phone cases. Yeah, onesies, but only in adult sizes. (laughs)
0: Ha, 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 ha if you show up at my house in an omnibus adult onesie, yes, you, John? Can, you can spend the night. How does that sentence end? Maybe in my guest room, but definitely you can spend the night.
1: Uh, so don't forget, if you're interested in omnibus gear for a limited time only, head to omnibusproject.com store. That's omnibusproject.com store. The glam rock of the Renaissance is mannerism. Oh. which is, you know, it keeps the, all the technical virtuosity. You know, all these guys had learned to paint right. from these Renaissance masters. That's what you
0: have to do. You learn to paint, and then you forget how to paint, Ken.
1: Instead <sighs> of the cool and calm and collected and polished Renaissance work, however, the Mannerists went in for drama. Dramatic light and shadow, lurid color. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about the visual arts, but this was true in music. So like Old Greco? Like yeah, exactly. Imagine the... lot of distortion and hyperbole, and uh, imagine the exaggeratedly long necks of a Parmigianino woman, or like you say, the turbulent sky over Toledo in an El Greco painting. Um, Just really bright colors, you know, strong emotions. Um, You know, really all the, you know, all the sex and death and pain we heard in that Gesualdo Madrigal, even though today it sounds a little antiseptic to us, uh, that was all coming out of mannerism. And the Ferraris court was just Ground zero for this new movement. You know, he had all the great uh, poets were there. Ariosto and Torquato Tasso are there. And this is circa... Um, this is still the very end of the 16th century, 1590-something. And this becomes the most productive period in Jesse Waldo's life. While well, he's surrounded by all these other, you know, people are throwing... Well, he's already rich. Right. He's got these super rich and influential patrons, so granting him legitimacy despite his his bloody double murder. Sure. must be nice. Uh, yeah. Nice work. If you can get and it. And
0: I wonder if in that situation, his, his bloody dramatic murder didn't increase his cachet. I mean, it's so hard to tell what it was like, but you, 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 you can imagine, well, you can imagine what now. it would be like today. Yeah. Somebody, somebody that had some terrible crime in their past, but that they were vindicated and, and were
1: kind of celebrated for it. And also, well, just the fact that the details of the crime were so full of passion, you know, two beautiful people slain at the at the moment of ecstasy with uh, bloody wounds and all the, you know, the anger and the f- furor that must have driven that. I mean, that could be a plus for an artist. And this, I think this drove a lot of the 20th century reappraisal of or rediscovery of Gessualdo. Uh The fact that he had a, a a true crime biography wouldn't have done it. And the fact that he right. wrote very inventive madrigals wouldn't have done it. But the fact that he had both. Um, I mean, that's just irresistible. Like it would be today for a musician who's who's off stage. Life is just as scandalous and crazy as as the music is. I
0: don't think of Schoenberg as somebody who's like I, I'm. Listen, you know, I'm listening to this serial killer music. Though I mean, yeah the the music definitely is its own.
1: You have to have a uh, yeah. You'd have to have a kind of a refined ear to yeah. hear what what Huxley and Stravinsky heard. If
0: I were really rich and had gotten away with murder i think my music would be be give, given a,
1: a a
0: fairer appraisal by the world
1: what if you had more of a scandalous um i don't know what's a, what's an example in the rock world of somebody who's i, I just the tales that are told about led zeppelin and hotel rooms i yeah, guess right. you know that kind of stuff really burnishes a legend all that satan stuff if somebody, on the alamo but if somebody actually does something really problematic i mean today Jim, Jim Morrison flashing a crowd, you know, unleashing his little lizard wouldn't. Right, I mean, R. Kelly should pass. be in prison, exactly.
0: But he somehow still walks the walks the land.
1: And do you think in a case like that, even though uh, everyone kind of unanimously agrees that that's awful behavior, do you think that is kind of what powers the the legend and the sales to some degree?
0: Well, I mean, R. Kelly continues to have like legions of female fans that defend him and and um you know and like will take no evidence uh that would uh, you know call their leader into question so kind are of they thing. are they
1: ignoring it or are they kind of secretly a little bit I think, uh I think probably delighted s- by delighted, it. delighted yeah, by it right
0: yeah. that he's uh I mean
1: that's I, the lesson of Justin Walden I don't know sure. the appeal of of a bad boy um I know the appeal of bad girls though see. You can turn it around in your head. You, you, can, you can see how this works, John. This is empathy. So, Jess Waldo's late life uh, uh, was no less learning because, possibly because of the the, mon- the monsters in his past mm-hmm. or possibly because of the monsters in his head that led to the legal troubles of his past, mm-hmm. uh, his later life was no better. His second marriage was no happier he was.
0: Did he murder her? He,
1: he did not. Oh, he was right. serially unfaithful and probably abusive to her. But his household was still always in the uh, in the Neapolitan gossip circles. Uh, in 1603, uh, for example, two household servants were tried for sorcery and were hmm. tortured into confessing uh, the satanist shenanigans that were going on in the. Now this There's is a, a Satanism. This is a torture-extracted confession, so I can't uh, speak to this as if I were there. We'd have to ask Satan. But uh, in their accounts and I'm trying to think what's the nicest way to say this for the future uh, one of the witches testified that she had given uh, the prince potions that contained among the ingredients her own uh, menstrual blood. Right. I <laughs> like you say it right. Yeah, typical
0: witchy stuff.
1: Check, got it. Yeah, and that they, you know, that he would uh, have uh, sexual relations with the servants, and then uh, afterwards she would insert uh, a piece of bread into her nether regions. Nether bread, and they would uh, in- enjoy it. To- enjoy it together in a sauce. In a sauce. I-, I don't know why the sauce is is relevant here. A nice marinara. Uh-huh. Um, the trial record meant, actually contains the phrase, or describes the bread as "quote soaked with the seed of them both." Ooh. So and, and and then after the trial, these women are imprisoned, and because he's the he's the prince of Asano, they're imprisoned in his castle. He's now got his his former witchy sex slaves in his dungeon.
0: Well done, sir. Hissing and and rattling chains. Sure, I bet they were hissing and rattling chains.
1: Despite all this, uh,
0: well, there's nothing keeping him from letting them out. To make their saucy bread?
1: I guess. He's the prince of Visano. Right. Venosa. Sorry, I don't know why I'm saying Visano. He appears as unhappy or tortured as before. Um, He has inner demons that give him no peace. For days on end, he will go into terrors and funks, which appear to be only cured if he can have 10, quote, 10 or 12 young men whom he kept specially for the purpose to beat him violently three times a day during which operation he was wont to smile joyfully.
0: Now, I don't want to kink
1: shame. I don't want to kink shame.
0: But it seems like he's got uh, some proclivities.
1: He's got some issues.
0: Yeah, uh, which, just, you which know, if you're
1: an extremely rich Neapolitan prince, Duke, <laughs> uh, I guess you can indulge, but yeah. but probably at the cost of many of those around you. Um, I mean, these guys who had to just bend him over a stool and hit him, these were strapping young men from the village who I'm sure get a nice paycheck for it. But it can not have been fun to be his second wife or any of the household servants. Yeah, who knows? I mean,
0: it it depends. Did his second wife have to sit there tied to a chair and watch, or was his second wife off having an affair with the gardener?
1: Sure, maybe she gets a beautiful Duke of Andrea as her own. If they have a a big enough house. Well, it is a castle, so she she probably gets some room. So even though he's a—the funny thing is, at the time, despite his— 20th century appeal to the avant-garde he was actually thought of as a very conservative voice because he never followed monteverdi and went into opera oh he kept working in the old forms the oh, masses opera and the, was the was the new rock and roll that's the hot new thing oh. yeah if you were it, it was hip-hop basically right. and, and he was stodgy and and kept playing blues r&b yeah exactly yeah. um but he really does seem to be the prototype for as we were saying this uh this idea that artists should be are tortured and it's not just that great art comes out of that, but a great popular hypnosis can be exerted over your following when they, uh, you know, the kind of criminology that can be d- go into your lyrics when they feel like they know you and your demons personally. Um, it's, a, it's a myth we don't think of, certainly not two, three hundred years before Beethoven, but it really powers a lot of music today.
0: Yeah, it, it, uh, it powers a lot of fan culture, but... But listening to this music, if I didn't know any of this story, it would still be compelling. And I guess it's the question: How do you separate the artist from the art? Can you can you appreciate music and and uh, painting, but also even comedy um, made by someone that you find? Personally, reprehensible.
1: A, a confessional form like comedy, and maybe even a lyric poem like a madrigal that's supposed to be from the heart. Like these are much harder cases to separate the art from the artist because okay. you have the illusion. You know, it's it's all premised on the illusion, which is almost certainly has a ton of truth in it. That this is not a construct. That you are actually seeing the real attitudes and emotions, and often very closely related to the ones that got the artist in trouble. I mean, we know how many of Woody Allen's movies and routines are about. Uh, you know, slavering over underage girls, sure, for example.
0: Marrying your stepdaughter. But
1: can you watch a Roman Polanski movie and enjoy it? It gets hard. I have a, the, harder, the hardest time when it overlaps with the real life stuff. You know, the, 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 the cruelty to women in a movie like Repulsion or uh, Rosemary's Baby, for example. That's a lot harder for me. In Chinatown, and I guess what that says about me is, it would be nice if I could ig-
0: ignore it. You know, <laughs> how about a, how about a Bill Cosby album? Could you listen
1: to a Bill Cosby album? That, see, that's an interesting case because even though he's a comedian, that's nothing in there is confessional about what we now know to be his real dark side. Right, he's you know, talking about a trip char- to the dentist and charming stories about his Philadelphia childhood. Yeah. You know, in theory, much easier to separate. But then, at a certain point, you start to you stop thinking of him as the comedian who had the uh, scandal, you start to think of him as the awful man who used to do comedy, and then you can't even hear the voice anymore.
0: Right. It's the voice is so signature, but I mean, is Fat
1: Albert canceled? It's sad. Fat Albert was like the only... Hey, hey, hey. It was like the, the the only well-written kind of woke cartoon of our childhoods that yeah. would have episodes about bullying and yeah. street crime, and I mean, Fat Albert was real.
0: So I don't know, Jesualdo... Like, I'm into his
1: tunes. We might have to apologize to the future for playing that little snatch of a uh, Gesualdo Madrigal, because...
0: We didn't know what it was saying. It been, might be like, kill the wabbit, kill the
1: wifey. If he has been cancelado, uh, we, uh, we apologize. How do you say I'm sorry in Italian? Scusa. Yeah, Mi dispiace. Hey, scusa.
0: Scusi. Huh? Scusi. Scuccio. Escuccio. There we go. Es- a- escucho is a Portuguese coin,
1: right? That's our last word on the Escudo. If, if, if these spirits have offended, escucho. <laughs> Escudo. Escudo.
0: And that concludes Carlo Gesualdo. Entry 526.HE1304. Certificate number 39859 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at, at Omnibus Project. You can follow at Ken Jennings and at John Roddick for your latest uh, celebrity news uh, and political commentary. I'm also on Instagram uh, showing photos of my the muddy ditch in my backyard.
1: It's a, it's a
0: ravine. And, and uh, probably by the time this episode airs, I'll be actually living in my house. So there'll be a lot more selfies of me uh, showing off my old tweed
1: jackets. You're, which you're have, finally going to get them out of their yeah, storage? They've all
0: been in storage for a year, and I'm going to get those tweed jackets out. And
1: Moths are going to fly out of the pockets.
0: <laughs> they are. It's going to be so terrible. I have to burn them all in a fire. Uh, you can email us at Project at gmail.com. And please do. We love getting your emails. Um, We suggest that you go search out one of our fan communities on Facebook and Reddit and Discord and um, all the other places where fans congregate. Omnibus fans tend to be a cut above, a different caliber of smart and funny, and uh, on our fan sites tend to be
1: very lighthearted. Who knows why they're on Facebook, but they're they're really making the best of it.
0: There they are. There are a lot of scientists among them and people that work in analytical fields. And
1: they, it, it's probably keeping them away from curing coronavirus or something. It tends to not be too
0: political there, although not apolitical, but not too political. Pretty, everybody keeps, uh, keeps on a pretty even keel. Nice no. job. I can't say for sure what's going on over on Discord. It might be pure anarchy over there, but... Um,
1: it's in the name, Discord.
0: Uh, you can mail us actual things. We've gotten some wonderful, wonderful things from our f- listeners over the years, and... Um, all kinds of uh, books and papers and pins and thermoses and. I'm looking artwork. at the mail
1: right now. We just got from uh, from Brett, whom we met at that uh, that town hall event at the beginning of the year pre hey COVID. He, uh, I guess, when he spoke to us there, he mentioned Virgil's Eclogues. Oh yeah, sure. Which I were, remember that conversation? Which were the subject of uh, one of the final Jeopardies on my last Goat game, and he thought that was appropriate because there's a lot of apparently. Uh, literal uh uh goat loving in, in virgil in uh, in virgil and so he wanted me to enjoy all the uh, romantic poems written to goats here in virgil's uh-huh. eclogues
0: was uh, was that the last event that we did in seattle before we left town was it the last uh yeah it was like pre covid it, it was like
1: a week and a half before wow. seattle shut down wow so that was the last that was like the last waltz for uh nice not just for omnibus but for Western civilization. Well, thanks for sending the book. He also says, uh, he notes that the eclogs were only preserved accidentally because the Christians misinterpreted a certain line as being about Christ when it's probably actually about... Having uh, sex with a goat? Caesar Augustus. So, yeah, close. Um, P.S. Tell John, I'm on your side on R.E.M.'s Out of Time and will happily come to fisticuffs. He's going to fight you to defend late period Warner Brothers period R.E.M. No, he
0: said that he was on my side. Please tell John no, that he no. was on I he,
1: think he says I'm on your side. Oh, he's y- on your, your side, in a, your Ken's side. Agreeing side. that
0: Out of Time is a good album that belongs in the in the canon.
1: It's I think it's as strong as any REM record. And you and uh well, we don't know. I think Brett is, agrees. I'm going to say Brett agrees with me.
0: That that album sold a lot of copies, so That doesn't disqualify it.
1: No, no. Have, but, having having a really good single shouldn't shouldn't uh, be a mark against it.
0: I mean, it's, it's definitely like their most popular record, I think. We right? also
1: got a, I bet Automatic sold more. And the funny thing is, Monster might have sold more, but then everyone immediately returned it to a to a used CD store. You can always find 10 copies of Monster in every used record store. It
0: says four and a half million copies. It's got Losing My Religion, which is something, I'm sure that gets played at weddings all the time. I mean, time. it's got Shiny Happy shiny, People, happy which, which people. I understand.
1: Well, we also got a postcard from LTLFTC Todd. What does LTLFTC mean? Love the uh, Louvre. No, I don't know what LTL.
0: LTLFTC. Is this Christian? Is this some long-time Christian thing?
1: listener, first-time first time. caller? You figured it out. Did you have to Google it, or did you just do it in your head? No, no I was just just putting it together. As Thanks, I Todd. Uh, he, it's an Iditarod postcard because he is uh, stopping in Wasilla during an Alaskan vacation. Do you oh. think this is Todd Palin?
0: Could be. I mean, that's where he's from, (laughs)
1: Lawzilla. Thanks for sending us a postcard from your hometown. (laughs) We also got a letter I am not going to quote, but it's really the first uh, hate mail we've actually gotten to the P.O. box.
0: You're talking about not an email, but a letter. Someone took the time to write a letter.
1: Type. And it's it's from here in Seattle, and it's anonymous, but in a very profane fashion, he really threatens to stop listening if we don't just stick to the topic and stop getting involved in current events.
0: Oh, he doesn't like the politics.
1: He prefers a less interesting version of the show where nothing from history or culture are connected to the the modern uh, crises and problems. And... He insists that this would be true whether we were on his side of the aisle or not. Of course. Which I believe 100%. Of course, absolutely. We all get very angry when people connect history and culture to what we think are the problems of modernity. Right. uh, And equally angry if they apply them to other ideas of the problems of modernity.
0: Now, wait, this person lives in Seattle? Yes. And wrote this letter
1: to us complaining
0: that we are presumably injecting liberalism if um, we say
1: one more thing about trump he's going to stop listening and i wow. and I, I you know what i don't want to lose this guy why? he seems so cool
0: why is he living in seattle you and i are are like like
1: virtual republicans by seattle standards <laughs> That's right we're going to get strung <laughs> up by black bloc at some point if we don't move to burien uh, yeah, I, we're, we're the picture of restraint. I'm not overly troubled. We have plenty of conservative listeners who are like, "Ha, huh, yeah, I get it. These these wacky lefties." Yeah. And or, "Ha, huh, huh, yeah, I get it. My side lost the culture war 50 years ago, and all the art I enjoy comes from leftists." But I have, was, I'll try not to think about it. We
0: have never we have never recorded a single episode where we didn't inject some bit of our our um, left leaning. Uh, beliefs and well, ideas?
1: How could we not? How can you do a confessional art form like a podcast without actually reflecting your your thoughts and ethic? I mean, you can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. I mean, even in
0: even in uh, the defenestration episode, I'm sure I came out against defenestration. I think you were
1: pro-defenestration. Oh, maybe that's of true. Of Republicans. Which one, which one is the more left uh, the, way? That show's got a 45-minute digression on throwing Todd Palin out a, <laughs> out a window of the Wasilla Best Western.
0: Well, to all of our conservative listeners... Uh, Thank you for your patience. Uh, that's right. Please contribute to our Patreon. Which, you uh, didn't read the address, <laughs>
1: by the way. Send, send all oh. your screeds to...
0: Send your typewritten uh, angry letters. And
1: your uh, classical goat sex poetry and
0: all of your uh, grandfather's thermoses to five p.o box 55744 shoreline washington 98155 and if you are really mad at us about the politics you can show your frustration by contributing to our show I'm, at patreon.com slash omnibus project
1: i'm not sure i follow
0: your hate dollars are registered In the Patreon app, we can tell
1: as hate dollars. We can tell how much of the dollars we get are hate dollars. That's right, and it shames us to uh, to receive and spend them.
0: Every time you donate fifteen dollars and fifty cents. Oh yeah, we should give a number that sends a clear message to us that you are displeased with us and the way that we're producing. Send
1: some conservative number. I don't watch. I don't watch white supremacist YouTubers, but you decide what the what the what the bad right wing number is and send us that amount in dollars and we will be uh that'll teach us
0: well there is a lot of uh numerology on the um on the right
1: Yes, I actually do know what the bad number
0: is. <laughs> you know some bad numbers. I just don't want to say the bad number. There are number. quite a few actually. So put that uh, put that number of dollars into our
1: account. No, we would return that bad number. What? what I don't you, I don't want to get the tainted the Nazi is, money. The thing is it's not going to I guess yeah, he's not spending it on um on ammo. That's right. They're they're sending it
0: to us and we're absorbing the hate and turning it back into love. And we're giving it to um our hate is just getting buried in our omnibus garden.
1: We're just all going to give it to nonprofits you hate, probably. What we do is we grow potatoes in the hate garden, and
0: then we use those potatoes uh, in our potato cannons, and we fire the hate potatoes back at our enemies.
1: You think of potatoes as a weapon because you are prejudiced against potatoes. I, I, I think I of potatoes like as a delicious side dish. The uh, By the way, one of the benefits of... Patreon, In all seriousness, Patreon um, support is what's keeping the show going now and a yes. very hard time for podcasting, so we appreciate your support. Um, we try to show that appreciation by making it well worth your while to make any size donation, even large or small. Even the lowest tier gets you a bonus omnibus entry every month.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and a good at, one.
1: And at one of the higher tiers, you get to suggest a show topic, and in fact, that's what happened today. Carlo Gesualdo was suggested by a, a, a $50 donor, oh, uh, really? Joe Brent.
0: It's such a Ken topic. Joe Brent really, really understood you. I
1: really wanted more. He, uh, he requested a famous British uh, electronic music engineer and composer, and we had just done Joe Meek. Right. So we had to go back and say, we would love to do this show about the woman who did the Doctor Who theme, but what else you got? Right, right, So right. we are curating the listener suggestions to make sure Omnibus is still the comprehensive reference work we always intended. But, uh, but it's fun. If you have a topic you've always wanted to hear on the show, you can uh, you can hear it by supporting the show on Patreon. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we feared may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.